Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an All act. Right. All right. Jay. What up, Brad? You look like a baby. What happened? I shaved my mustache and I regret it. It looks horrible. What, you had the look, sweetest mustache. I look like a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is not a bad thing. But, but they, everyone saw you because you posted that video on our Instagram account. That's you, why right. Why did not you post I know, videos? With Can, the, will you post a video, a photo of your sweet mustache with an inspirational quote? Yes, I will. I'll okay. say, I must ask you a question about getting sober, and then I'll go into my speech. So if you're listening... Just prepare. I might take another three months and grow another one. It takes forever. I'm not, I, I don't have a. I don't have the hair growth on my. I have it on my head. I have a lot of hair, but my face took a long. That took two and a half months to get. In November, when I had a mustache, you were very jealous. Very jealous because my beard was stubble. And you said you could never grow it, and then you did. And then I kept going to December, and then end of December I went to January. So three months full, th- full three months. Shaved the beard, left the stash, handlebars look like Yosemite Sam in training, and uh, it's gone now. Anyways. Jay, Thanks for bringing uh, that up. our podcast is growing. <laughs> it is. It is. People are listening from more and more cities and and countries because and the, the truth is infectious. The countries blow me away. What? Our, what country now? Well, we got quite a bit of tie, but one that a new one that popped up is Poland. What? Who do we know in the, Poland? The Polish are enjoying the podcast. You so. in Poland? So I appreciate you. List off these countries of uh, the top. Well, like we've got a lot of countries, but I'm just going to list the top 10. Obviously, U.S., okay. Canada, Vietnam, Dominican Republic, Colombia, Poland, Ireland, Indonesia. Ireland. Bangladesh. Bangladesh? Netherlands was uh, top last nice. the week before. South Africa. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Bruce. And Australia. Hey, good day, mate. All right, good day. Let's get safe, bro. <laughs> I so love it, neat. man. We love you guys, that's man. Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Keep uh, spreading the word. And uh, I'm... Although we need to build our Utah audience with ARP, but yeah, Utah we're... is not in our top two. So Utah, where are you at? That's the uh, church's headquarters. You know, they must not have addiction problems there. No, I think they're all good there. They just got the gospel. and it's, it's, No, I'm just kidding. There's a lot of meetings that go on there. So there now is. we just got to get there them on is. iTunes. There is. Okay. We need to get like someone famous from iTunes, there. Stitcher, SoundCloud. We're on all those. Just look Boom. up the Next Step Podcast. Love you if you post a link. Hey, check out this. Yeah, do that for us. Help us out. We're going to skip the surf report because... There, it actually is really big surf coming. It's big surf, but, but it's all storm, storm surf this week, yeah. so we're going to forego it next week. We're yep. going to hear probably a I lot of surf I surfed in a week. You haven't surfed in a week. A lot of surf talk next week. Okay. Hey, uh, George Michael died. Yes, he did. And there was an article on DailyMail.com that shortly after he went to one of the most expensive rehabs in Betty the Ford? world... No, uh, does it say the name? Um, just kidding, Betty Ford. But I mean, I just know they're expensive. They're really good. It was good. in Z- Zurich. Uh, let's see. Europe. Uh, Anyways, it was uh, an expensive one, okay? Yeah, he, he spent, uh, I have a couple articles here. but My wife was so sad when he died. She loves George Michael. I said, it, I, the first thing I said it was probably something to do with addiction. She goes, no, no, no. And then what are you going to share with me? I have a feeling. It. Well, he did. He definitely died of uh, a drug overdose. It's wow. looking like it now. But uh, I, I, how many? It, I mean, how many famous? Listen, you never, you rarely hear of famous people passing away 
in their fifties or you know or younger. Without so you know, his rehab was two hundred euro, two hundred thousand euros a month. Shut the up. most exclusive establishment. So he was just he just was three months there. Um, Jeez. So just you know, we're gonna hear. Uh, we're gonna hear an important message tonight. I tell you what, our, guys. Our ask the addict girls. Do not turn this podcast off. Um, this speaker at the end, and we're going to ask the attic section, is, is, is got an amazing story, so you got to tune in. And uh, he shares something that, you know, rehabs and things are good, but you know what? Usually the answer is free. 12 steps. Uh, okay, next next couple. I'm sure yeah. you read these I sent you. What? The, uh, the new apps that are coming out for helping his recovery. Really? I've seen some apps. So there's a few. Uh, I was turned on because one of my students, uh, his dad has actually built one. He got an award through... For specifically addiction? Yeah. So oh, what are the uh, this one's called We Connect. They got uh, an award through TechCrunch in a, in a, uh, like a runner-up type thing. And then... Tracks your like day and sobriety day. Yeah, day, sobriety. And they're linking with rehabilitation centers. So because no the problem is they, the relapse rate after rehab is so high. Yes. But well, because, because you're protected in rehab. Well, and then they, when you leave, you're like, oh. But there's also like a disconnect. And so this, this okay, yeah. the, lets them go. Uh, this one that I read about, it, you it connects your forever. sponsors. Oh, really? So before the idea is a rehab would pay for this part of the rehab. And then before you go, you got your sponsors in there. You got your meetings. People he's connected with. All your you connections, so you stay connected once you leave. Because it's all about accountability, people. I like it. And then I don't follow wrestling. Wrestling? But uh, this wrestler named Kurt Angle, have you ever heard of him? No. So he created Wait, is he a wrestler? Uh, wrestler. You mean like wrestle? I assume, what are you trying to say? I assume. Oh, yeah, Olympic wrestler. Gold medalist. Does your yeah, grandma say wrestle? Wrestling? Wrestle? No, I ain't know where you from. <laughs> You just call it good old fashioned, you know, tuck board with wrestling. I, I went to wrestle, wrestle when I was newly married. Uh oh, that was many, 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 many decades that ago. Was four many's ago. Okay, anyway. I he's old. Went to uh, went to my uh, see my father in law's mother's funeral. Oh. in Western Washington. Okay, and I'm new to the family. Like I'm the I'm the in law, right? New married. Yeah. But not a lot of family could go, and so I was there, and I think I had to speak. I can't remember. But what I do remember was Julie's grandma was in the wrestling. No and way. And she had action figures all over her house. No way. <laughs> my wife, love you, babe. Yeah. But I, if I'm recalling correctly, it was even like on her casket. Like she was in watching wrestling oh, like wwe and like WWE. oh yeah oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like professional hogan, wrestling oh yeah hulk hogan the rock like the that rock. when yeah i don't think that's even it big anymore but no i know it so is picture this grandma just sitting there watching wrestling all those she things. loved it she oh. loved those tights so that's where right. i get wrestling, wrestling from. from she liked to wrestle but this guy i guess was an olympic Julie wrestler sticks anyways right. olympic wrestler okay. he won gold medal the guy who invented this app is uh, yeah, this is a second app. So there's a few apps coming out, which I think are really neat. Interesting. He's, he probably has some ties with addiction himself. Oh, right? definitely. Some recovery. Definitely. Great. He said... You, uh, What's it called? What's his name? Neck break. Uh, this gentleman's name He is... broke his neck, then got addicted to opiates. What do you know? What do you know? Boom. Story there. Story so, of most of our lives. Yeah, Kurt Angle. Is oh, Kurt name. Angle, yeah. Why does that name sound familiar? Because he's a famous Olympic yeah. wrestler. He's just pretending like he's heard of him. No, but anyways, I follow MMA. That's uh, the only you, sport I follow. If you're running an app, UFC. I think it's great. Use technology to help in sobriety. There's no, I mean, that we're going to talk about a lot about 12 step meetings and going to meetings, but you know, we use technology to 
Use your resources. That's how I look at yeah, it. Use technology for wasting time and. I, I use it to get high a lot. I'll tell you what, I used to use it to, to, to get my fix. And it's funny, I heard one time in a meeting, actually from the speaker who's going to be speaking tonight, if you put a tenth of the effort you put into getting loaded into your recovery, guess what? You probably will never use again because we're actually really crafty as addicts and we're actually really smart and we know how to gather resources even when they're scarce. And uh, we can, you know, we used to use that to get high, unfortunately. And to destroy ourselves, but if you do that to get sober with technology, with the phone, with the internet, with whatever it is, your friends, and and talking about it, sharing this link with other people, then guess what, man, you're gonna find recovery. Love it. Okay, last article. Let's hear it. Not to do. It's, it's more on the LDS news. Okay. But do you know DJ Cascade? Yes, I do. Who doesn't love Cascade? I love Cascade. I I know people. <laughs> I know people love Cascade. I love he's, it. He's the most popular. The teacher. most popular. Yeah, and drum and bass, house, like all that stuff. He's got a gig in Dub Vegas stuff. like every yeah. weekend, right? Yeah. I mean, this guy's crushing it in this. One of the I history. know one of one of my buddies in LDS used to be work for him and his family. Anyways, go on. So, uh, I think he. I mean, the obviously the he's rave, from down here the rave scene is not pretty gnarly that he's LDS. Yes. And so like, this, anyways, yeah. so this article in Deseret News is popular Mormon DJ Cascade to speak at Salt Lake City next week and. He just talks about you know how he's drug free, alcohol free, and crazy. And that blows people's a, mind because the scene that he's in, the is, people get drug do ex, they do these drugs to go listen to his music. Yes, that's a trip. So that's kind of a weird paradox. Tech, he's speaking at a tech summit. What um, you know, he should do cascade. If you're listening to this, you should just stop your music one time and just talk about how drugs can destroy people's lives. <laughs> that would be a trip. Probably lose. <laughs> You'd the lose gig. all your stuff. You'd lose your gig. Interesting. But hey, man, at least start in Salt Lake. That's great. That's but, cool, man. Uh, I don't. He definitely doesn't hide that he's a Mormon. No, he's he's straight up and no. I think he's amazing. That's why I love. I mean, his music is unreal. But then on top of it, the fact that he's never once hidden. And people ask him, he's like, of course I'm Mormon. Yes, I. All I, the little I that's that's why him. I want that idea is not to be ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, I think that's the takeaway. We're in in situations and we can easily just. Not mention the fact of our faith, but wear it on our sleeve and Amen. be proud of who we are and what we stand for. That's First seek ye the kingdom of God, and the rest shall be added unto you. What? That's it. Jay, that's all the news. Do you have any more news articles? Man, you know I don't read the news. If you <laughs> Did you said, listen to any news? Nope. Okay. I've well, been, I'm, you know what, guys? Just real quick. It's the new year. I'm back on audiobooks, and I've been listening to a shout-out to my man, Les Brown. He's one of the, the best motivational speakers ever. He's like a Baptist minister-sounding amazing guy. And anyways, that's what I've been listening to. So I, I got no time for the news right now. It's negative. Okay. But that news was positive. Anyways. We have positive news. Positive gonna, news on this podcast. We're going to move into your Step 12 share. Boom. And we're going to listen to Step 12 share. And then we're going to have our Ask the Addict with James. Do not. Yeah, you got to hear this. J- James great. gets referred to a lot in your shares. In my shares. Because you attend multiple ARP meetings. And he's the first. Yeah, the meeting he runs here in San Clemente, California is the meeting that I first went to. Your home my, meeting. It was my home meeting. It's where I get my chip and everything. So uh, enjoy that. Enjoy sh- your share. and Don't quote me. Wait, what? And stick quote to me. the end of the podcast. And don't forget to share this with your friends yes, and family. Please share this with all those around. Okay. Okay, you're next awesome. time. I'm Jim and Act. Hey, Jay. <clears throat> Extremely grateful to be here, as always, because when I read these steps, it reminds me what to focus on. Uh, this year, in seven days, I believe, I'll be getting my four-year chip, so I'm excited. That was not easy to do. If you asked me four years ago if I'd be sober, I'd say nope. I would say there's no way. Um, 
I, uh, most of you have heard my story, but there's a few newcomers. I was massively addicted to opiates, painkillers, uh, but also Xanax, uh, Adderall, muscle relaxers, you name it. I couldn't function in society. I couldn't function in life without some sort of substance. I was also addicted to pornography. I was addicted to lying. I was addicted to gambling. I'd do whatever it took to just get, to not focus on the present because I didn't know how to deal with life and life had a lot of challenges. And life has a lot of things that serves up on a daily basis, especially when you're starting a family and when you're in any aspect of your life. doesn't matter where you are. You could be 20 years old and no family, just starting school or getting home from a mission or have four kids or, you know, all your kids have moved out. It doesn't matter. Life shows up. And that's one thing that I've learned in four years of coming almost every single week to a meeting at least for four years straight, I've learned that uh, life always is going to show up, no matter what. And sometimes our challenges are extremely big and they're emotional challenges. Sometimes it's burdened from someone else who's struggling with the addiction. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's physical through an ailment. Sometimes it's a spouse. Sometimes it's a kid, work. And sometimes it's all. Sometimes it's like all those at once. And uh, however, and I've had all those at once, I feel like, you know, to a degree this year. And uh, that's why I'm, I say I'm so grateful to be here because not because I like sacrificing and coming here. is because when I read these steps, I, I get the solution to how to deal with it. Sober. Because, see, my solution for most of my life was some type of external thing. I had to go and do. I had to go change my, I had to get a fix, something. And uh, even when I wasn't using drugs, there was always something that I could do. To, to, to change. I just couldn't sit with the challenges. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And, uh, uh, you know, for, if you're a newcomer, sometimes 12 step, when you read this, you're like, how can I go and help someone when I don't even know where to go? Like, you know, you're just getting recovery or you're trying to gain recovery or you're trying to be consistent or whatever it is. You just admitted you have a problem or you're not even there yet. You know, you focus on the step that you're on. Step one is identifying that you have a problem, right? Then you of yourself are incapable and your life has become unmanageable by whatever it is that's haunting your life. That's step one. You do step one. And how you do it is you get a sponsor in one of these rooms. If you, if you didn't find anyone here that is good enough to you feel like spiritually prompted to be a sponsor, go to the Wednesday night meeting. Yeah, it's in Mission Viejo. It's at 7 o'clock. It's in the high council room, just like ours. If you don't find anyone in there, then you go to the San Clemente one. If you, and if you don't find anyone there, then I suggest you reevaluate your standards because I tell you what, in those three meetings, there's some solid people that are willing to do this 12-step with anyone and everyone that asks. So there's no excuses in this program. Every day we live in misery is our choice. And you can be free. I've seen myself hold on to issues and stresses and fears and anxiety and resentments, and all I had to do was let go. All I had to do was stop fighting against myself and my God and then my life works out. And uh, that's so easy for me to say when I'm on the up and it's hard when I'm not. But that's why I come every week. There's a reason why, I, you know, not just because I'm a facilitator, like I'll go to another meeting, I go to the Wednesday night meeting, I'll go to the Thursday night meeting, because I have to go and be reminded sometimes, I don't know when life's gonna show up. And so sometimes you're, you're most prepared, right? said Abraham Lincoln said something like, I'm not trying to be all quoting, but he said, the time of prepper, I never say things like that, but the yeah. preparation, Opportunity. Say it? Yeah. Go ahead. No, I don't know it. That's what I was saying. I just know what I was trying to say. The, the time to prepare is over or something like that, right? Like you gotta you gotta prepare beforehand, right? That's what I do in these meetings. 
I prepare to go out in, into the world and, and to, to be of service for others. I have had, I've learned more about my, uh, my personal addiction and my demons by helping others through the steps. I had to do it myself first, though. Right? You can't help someone with something that you, you know, can't walk someone up a staircase that you don't even know how to get up there. You have to do them yourself. But even if you're on step one, you can invite someone to this meeting. Even if you're taking your first day of recovery, your, your 30th day or whatever, or you're dealing with a loved one who's, you can talk about this program. I promise you that if you get on your hands and knees and you pray to Heavenly Father and ask for that opportunity, it'll happen. Every day that I did that throughout these four years, I had the opportunity to. There's never once if I prayed to have the opportunity to do so that it didn't happen. Now, if I don't pray about for that opportunity, then it doesn't happen. And I lose out on the blessings, and maybe someone else does. But I know that when I read this, there's so much truth in here, and uh, service has changed my life. But one thing, too, it talks, one thing, and I'll end and open the meeting. There's one part, it said, um, be, be sure to give freely, not expecting an, a particular result. Respect the agency of others. This is talk about sharing this program with someone who you may think is an addict or struggles or has a loved one. It says, Remember that most of us had to hit bottom before we were ready to study and apply these principles. The same will be true for those, uh, for most of those you desire to help. That was not easy for me to understand because when I first came to these meetings, I was ready. I had lost everything and I was ready to go. And so there's a lot of people I've seen come in these rooms and, and I hear their testimony. They cry and they have a hard time admitting, you know, and they, but they say, I got a problem. And then you go to run to them to try to help them and, you know, they oh yeah, I want your help, and then you don't ever hear from them again. Or you do hear from them, and you do work with them, and then they choose to leave. That's hard. But one thing I've learned through this four years is that I carry the message, not the person. And that's all we're asked to do. It. Nothing more than that. And we're not here to change someone through the gospel. We're here to show them what worked for us. And uh, I know if you'll do that, if you come to these meetings and you're honest and you share with what's really going on, if you're struggling today, share about it. If you're happy today, share about it. Just be real. You don't have to share a sermon. It's about what's going on with your life. Where else can you dump that stuff? So it's here, and I'm, I'm grateful you guys show up. And I promise you that if you get a sponsor and you work this program, I don't care how deep you are in your addiction or where it's become or whatever, this will work. And I'm saying that from experience and watching many others have done the same thing. You're not terminally unique. You're just not letting go. As soon as we let go, it works out. So let go and let God. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is uh, the one and only Mr. Jamie here. We're grateful to have you here. Most people uh, want to change their name or only be called by their first name, but um, I've known you to be someone that helped me get sober and many, many others for coming out there and breaking anonymity. And, and uh, although that's not for everyone, that's, that's been the story of your recovery. And it's, I know because of that, you've helped 
me and many others get sober. And so I'm grateful to have you here tonight. Well, thank you. James, are you nervous at all? No. He, he didn't get nervous. Our first guest. He didn't get nervous. So <laughs> not be nervous. He does not get nervous. Everyone else gets a little nervous. You have to tell them to change your voice. James, what, what, how would you describe your addiction? What is your addiction? Of? Uh, well, you know, it started out as alcohol, pre predominantly alcohol. So I refer to myself as an alcoholic. Okay. But I mean, you know, but uh, I certainly did every other drug that there was imaginable. You, know? you identify as an alcoholic. But I'm, I identify as an alcoholic, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how many years or months have you been sober? Um, I'm in my 28th year of sobriety, continuous sobriety. 28 years. That's amazing. That's a long time. That's amazing. That's not something you're all time. That's about. older than you are, Jay. I know. <laughs> two years younger than me. So uh, I, was, I was just well, to, like crawl around. Yeah, right. And you, and you, you were just babbling was, back uh, then. Not, you yeah. were still in diapers. And you were, <laughs> I was you still wet yeah, my pants. Right. I think he still wears diapers sometimes. Depends on how long I have to drive. Today, today I, I could have used a pair of diapers today. So 20 years of sobriety. 28 years. 20, 28 years of sobriety. 28 years. And did you know or think you were an alcoholic before that time? Or was there an awakening of like, I need to snap out, you know, that, that realization that my life is becoming unmanageable? When did that first hit you? Well, I mean, that hit me pretty much from the very beginning when I started drinking when I was 14 years old because I drank to, to oblivion. Okay, so you know, as a teenager. I, 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 I mean, I... I drank to the point where uh, I couldn't function, and I, and, I, and, and, I, and I got sick. As a 14-year-old? 14 14-year-old. 14 okay. Yeah. No control drinking. There's no, no there was no. For real and, you know, and the, the thing about it was where I was raised, I was raised by Keith, and, you know, I, you know, it was a bunch of guys that, you know, we all did the same thing, actually. It was kind of crazy, you know. We, we would, uh, it got to the point where it was, a, you know, we, we, would we would make every effort possible to go try to find out how we can get some booze, you know. I mean, because, you know, we're, we're scared little kids. Tell me, um, so when did you first seek treatment or try to get help? It was a long time. You know, how, how old were you? Because I think that's a good part of the story because most people we've interviewed have, have, uh, have been a little bit younger, and so I think it's interesting for people. I was probably, uh, you know, when I, when I finally wound up in a rehab center, um, I had just uh, gotten out of jail. I was arrested for possession of cocaine. Um, and they thought I was affiliated with some people, and they were interrogating me, and it turned out that I wasn't. I just said, hey, listen, man. <laughs> you know, I think that was the first time I really admitted to the fact that I was an addict or an alcoholic and, 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 and to the police, you know, to okay. the detectives that were interrogating me. Really? I just said, hey, you know, listen, I'm just an addict. <laughs> Really, you know, and, and 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 it was kind of funny. I was hearing myself say that, you know, yeah. and, and it was like it, there was a, rev a revelation there. You know, it's like wow, okay, say that out loud. You know, this is this is really identifying. This is probably a truthful moment, right? And so what happened was, you know, at that at that particular juncture, I realized that I, was, I needed some help, right? And because you know, the first thing I had to do is get in touch with a public defender to try to help me, <laughs> you know, and then and then um, you know I I I, I I got to a phone and I called, um, uh, you know, a twelve-step program, and uh, they they twelve-step me. They a guy, one guy actually came over and he, he came and he, to jail. No, no, okay. I, I got out of jail and then I got. What happened was I got out of jail. I didn't have. I went. I, I was pretty much homeless. I was staying at my father's apartment in Philly. He was down in Florida, 
And so I, I got back there. Uh, you know, as soon as I walked in the apartment, uh, I realized that there was, uh, you know, I had some weed there. So I needed to take the edge off. So I smoked the joint. And then I, then I called this 12-step program. This guy came in and, and 12-stepped me. And he actually was able to get me into a detox. Okay. It's called White Deer Run up in the mountains in Pennsylvania. It was really a very, very serene place, very nice, you know. And I was in there, you know, for about seven or eight days, and but I didn't have any insurance. That was kind of like a charity bed that they got me into, and, and they, I had no insurance. And so they have a rehabilitation center there as well, but I couldn't go there because I didn't have the insurance, right? So, so you were able to detox there. I detox, and but fortunately they were, you know, they had some resources, and they, they, they were able to get me into a, a, what is known as an indigent, Rehabilitation Center, which was Jaffe Medical Center down in North Philadelphia. And I went down there and spent 30 days, 28 days actually. So yeah. you were, how old were you when you were there? I was in my early 30s. So you were serious about getting recovery. If you're. You I, was, know, I, was serious, I was serious about it, the fact that I didn't want to go to jail. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and I, had, I, had, I had some things hanging over my head. And, you were scared. You know, and, and, and so, but, but, but I think that that moment that I, I said, hey, I'm an addict, I mean, that kind of resonated with me, right? It kind of like, you know, prior to that, it was always somebody else's fault. It was always, you know, you know some, the circumstance I was in was created because of uh, a, a misfortune that I had nothing to do with, right? And then all of a sudden, I realized that the reason I was sitting there being interrogated by a cop was because of my actions and my behavior. And what was, what was the impetus of that behavior? Well, the impetus of the behavior was my using and my drinking and my abusing. I mean, I completely destroyed any relationship I was ever in prior to that. You know, I was married and they left. You know, I had a job, I lost it. You know, because I was a slave to my addiction. So that, that was your bottom. That, that was a bottom. That was a bottom. I've had quite a sober few of them. So you saying that wasn't, you didn't sober up and remain sober from that I time? did say I stayed sober for about three years. Okay. Yeah. So, so that, I, I think it's really important for people to understand because, you know, sometimes people say they, they, they give up because they, you know, they try to get sober and, you know, you get a couple of weeks under the belt or whatever and, you know, they, they, something happens and they pick up and then it just puts them into that trap, right? Mm -hmm. Well, let, let me say something. You know, I think it's important because too many lives are lost because they finally drop into the abyss. It is a disease of relapse. I'm not suggesting that you relapse, but I am saying that it is a disease of relapse and there, there is still hope. Okay, of course, with the amount of time that you had sober, whether it's 24 hours, two weeks, three years, you don't lose that sobriety. You just change your sobriety date. So when you, so when you slip or you, you have a relapse, don't do what I did. Because what I did after three years is I went out for an entire year. And guess what? I lost everything again. So you, lo you lost hope and said, there's no way I'm getting back. I lost everything, with the exception of my life. I lost everything. Within a year? Within a year. And then did you go, after a year, did you go to a 12-step meeting, a rehab? What was that next? Well, uh, I'm going to fast forward okay. because for the sake of time, because you know I'm, I'm an old guy oh, and wait. I got a lot of history here. But I mean, for, for for those who are listening, here's here's what transpired. So 
Uh, my last drunk, my last hive, and I, I, I use that word very cautiously because there's nothing high about it. It's, it's, it's miserable, you know. Um, I, I was so disabled. I had lost my job. I had lost my family. Nobody in my family wanted anything to do with me. I had no transportation. I didn't have any money. I had no food, okay? What I had was a bicycle and an apartment that I was going to be kicked out of pretty shortly, all right? And I had just been on a seven-day binge of alcohol and cocaine to the point that I couldn't stand up. I was crawling around my apartment. I was on my hands and my knees. And then I remembered I had a microsecond of sanity, not a second, not a half a second, a microsecond of sanity that said, hey man, you're an addict. And you're never gonna get better until you surrender. And so what I did is I surrendered and I groaned. I didn't, I didn't yell, I didn't scream. On my hands and my knees, I groaned to God. And I prayed and I, and I, and I said, please, please help me. And when that happened, I was directed to the phone. And I did a 12-step call. I, I, I called the 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I told them I was in pain. I needed help. And they got my address. And about a half hour, 45 minutes later, there's a knock on my door. And I was, by that time, I was able to stand up. And I shakily went to the door, and I opened the door. And there's this guy standing in, in the frame of my door, and he's about six foot five and about 350 pounds. Big beard, right? And he's got a big beard. He's got bib overalls on. <laughs> and this is, this is on the 17th of June of 1989. And his name was John. And he was by himself, which was, which was kind of unusual because typically when you, do, when you do a 12-step call, you go with two people. But he came in. I invited him in the house. And he had two years of sobriety. And when I looked at it, I saw his eyes. And his eyes were clear. And they sparkled. And I looked at that and I said, man, that's what I want. And he started sharing to me about who he was. And we had nothing in common. He was a Jewish guy. He was a member of the Jewish Defense League. He was like, he was like an enforcer for the extreme JDL, right? Yeah. And, but the thing, he, the thing he had that I wanted was two years of sobriety. He had two years of sobriety, and he was staying sober by being in my apartment, helping me understand that I could get sober. So what happened was, while we were talking, he told me about this book that he had just got re done reading. And the title of the book was called A New Pair of Glasses. And as soon as he said, A New Pair of Glasses, it's like this epiphany happened. This light bulb went off in my head, and I said, oh my goodness, that's what I need, man. 
My life's glasses are shattered. I can't see anything. I've destroyed my vision to help me navigate through this world. I need to find that book. So it was a metaphor for me. And it was so intense. And, 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 and this guy, he nurtured me. He took me, and he took me over to his sponsor's house. And his sponsor, he nurtured me. They, they, they fed me. They, 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 they talked to me. They, they were kind to me, you know? They shared their own experience, their own strength, and their own hope with me. Then he brought me home, and the next morning they picked me up, and he took me to a meeting. And after the meeting, by the way, that next day was the 18th of June, which was Father's Day. And after the meeting... They brought me back home, or they got me something to eat, and then they brought me back home. And when I got home, I got a call from a friend of mine that I never expected what I would hear from. And this person said, hey, you know, I sense there's something going on with you. You doing okay? And I told him. I said, no. <laughs> and, 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 they, and they said, well, listen, we don't have, I don't have much, but I can, I can wire you 50 bucks. And like $50 at that time was like $5,000 to me. Yeah. So I said, okay. I said, I could use that. And so that's what they did. And in the meantime, while, while they were wiring, and I was trying to figure out where, where Western Union was. Yeah. I mean, I, at the time, I was living in Costa Mesa. I had a bicycle. I was like, DT, and like, you no can't iPhone, believe. No iPhone to just... No, no, no. <laughs> Yellow pages. Oh, yeah, just, okay. <laughs> phone book to find it. Right, right, phone book. So I finally found this, this address, and I hopped on my bike. And this is in Costa Mesa, California. And I'm riding down um, Adams, I, not, I think it's Adams Avenue. Adams Avenue? Yeah, yeah. Is that the main drag there? Harbor, Harbor Boulevard. Oh, Harbor. Harbor Boulevard. So I'm riding down Harbor Boulevard, and there's a lot of traffic, and there's a lot of construction that's been taking place there. And, it was, and I was shaky. I'm like, I'm like riding a bike like this. I fell down a few times, and I said, man, this is not good. I'm, I'm not even going to make it to the Western Union. I'm going to get run over by somebody, oh, right? So finally, I... I was able to get to that Western Union, and I, and, I, and, and, and I go in, and I get the money, and I come out, and as soon as I came out, man, my disease started hammering me, saying, you know what? You're a loser, dude. You're a loser. Your family has that, that doesn't want anything to do with you. Your kids don't want anything to do with you. You got $50. Go get loaded. Yeah, go get loaded. And I was like... Battling, I'm on this bike. Only one day of not drinking, right? Right. Yeah. Jeez. I'm still shaky. Yeah. And I'm riding my bike, and I and I said, "Well, you know, I'm gonna There's ride back." Stores on every corner. Oh, right. 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 I mean, it's right next to the Western Union. There's a record store. So I mean, I get on my bike, and I said, "I'm gonna go back this other way. I'm not gonna go back Harbor. I'm gonna go back this. Uh, I can't remember the name of the street. Estancia. 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 I think. And so. The, the name of the street really doesn't make that much of a difference. It was a quiet street. It was taking me in the same direction, right? And so I get on my bike, and I'm riding, and I'm talking to myself. Now, I mean, I got sober late in life. I was 42 years old when I got sober this time. So here I am riding a bicycle, 42 years old, talking to myself. So you can imagine what that looked like, right? <laughs> I, I drive to Costa Mesa. I shape boards up there. I see. Okay. I see, I see that same thing a lot. That's okay. There, right? So I'm riding up there. I'm, I'm riding, talking to myself. And, and, and my disease, or better yet, the adversary was coming at me, man. Hitting me hard. Get loaded, dude. Come on, man. Nobody loves you. Go ahead. Take care of yourself. You're a loser anyway. Do it. This is what your disease does to you, right? And I said, no, I need that book. 
I mean, that was that was. You were on a mission to go get the book. The book. You got yeah, the, the new pair of glasses. New, new pair of glasses. I need that book. I need that book because that's going to help me because my life's glasses are shattered. So I, that, all I could think about was that book. So I'm riding my bicycle. I'm riding my bicycle. I ride for about a mile, and I look up ahead, and about 30 or 40 feet ahead of me, right in the right by the curb in the gutter area of the street, was a package. Like a wrapped package? Oh, yeah, it was a wrapped a package. Just... Yeah, it was like, like a small wrapped package. Okay. So I get up to about four or five feet of it, and I get off my bike, and I figure, oh, I'm going to go see what this is. And I go over there, and I pick it up, and it's half open. It's like brown wrap, wrapper paper around it, and it's half open. So I just reach in, inside, and, and, and I pull out what's inside, and it's a book. And the title of it is A New Pair of Glasses. Wow. So, so, so this is what I'm talking about. You know, listen, God lives. God lives. God loves you. God can help you. At that very moment, he showed me that he lived. Prior to that time, I felt that if he did live, he didn't want anything to do with me. I just completely destroyed my life. But then he showed me, no, I love you. So this is how I want to do it for you. There's nobody else around. It's just me and you. And that's exactly how he does things. There's no clang and there's no clamor. You know? And he said, okay, now you know that I am here. Now you know that I love you. Now you got to get to work. Powerful. I love you. And from that moment, from that moment on, from that moment on, the obsession was removed wow. till this day today. So I'm testifying that you can get sober. But what I had to do when he said you had to get to work, what, the, what I had to do is I had to, I had to go and I had to get out of myself and I had to be of service. And see, that's where the steps become so important, the 12 steps of recovery. Because the first step is honesty. And what, how, do you, how do you become honest? Well, you have to humble yourself. The only way you can be honest is to be humble. Otherwise, you're not going to be honest. No problem. Yeah. Okay? So that's the first step. Which is what you did technically that when you were uh, first being interrogated, you didn't want to go to jail. That was that first epiphany. Right. right. Yeah. So, so, so that was the identification. Yeah. I identified. Yeah. I mean, I knew yeah. that at that moment that I was an addict. Yeah. You know, 10 years later... Yeah. I finally came to the realization that's important for that I needed to surrender. Yeah. And that's what happened yeah. when I was when I found that book. Well when that book found me. I didn't find that book. Yeah. That book found me. Which, which was one left turn away. Like if you one, you made the choice to go there, then Heavenly Father answered it, your prayer. Because he, you made the right choice. He directed me and I listened. I was gonna say you could have you could have felt that like you said, you you had the thought of go this way. Once again you could have been like right to the right and gone the other way. Right. Crazy how life is. So, but, but 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 the important thing also to understand and, and to let people know, man, is that um, you know not everybody's going to have that kind of experience, right? Of course. Right. You know, you don't want to put yourself in a position to have to have that kind of experience. I yeah, mean, I'm not I, sure I, if you can go back. I think that was was a lot of. Uh, when I was 14 years old, the day after, I should have made the decision not to drink. Do it again. So that's what separates us from the norm. You know. You know what stood out to me on that story and that, that a lot of. There's a lot of people that aren't addicts that listen to this. Maybe their family members are, or maybe they're new to recovery. Is 
that the the people that came to you, the twelve step, the bearded guy with the overalls, he wasn't paid to show up there. No, he was doing step work. Right. He showed up on your porch. He's doing this very step we just covered. Who knows? Yeah, we're doing step twelve, right. and we just talked about it. And he showed up for an addict, an addict to an addict, to help. Not paid, probably left his job or whatever he was doing. And that whole was about a twenty-four hour period. Him and a sponsor feeding and, you, taking you, me, you know, yeah. the next day, going above and beyond. And I know you and Jay do that all the time as right, well. Right. So that's uh, well, you know, listen, you know, there's twelve steps, but the first step is the is honesty, which is where it begins. Yeah. Where it begins. Okay. And then you have all the steps in between. We just covered uh, in our meeting tonight step seven, mm -hmm. which is a great step. But yeah, but step twelve is where it starts. Yeah. Step one is where it begins. Step twelve is where it starts, because you're being of service, and that that's what per perpetuates, you know, yeah, this, your sobriety. Yeah. And teaches you even more about yourself. I mean, one thing I remember you t teaching me is that, uh, so just so you know, when he said in his meeting, so he runs an ARP meeting here for the church in San Clemente, California, every Thursday night at 7 o'clock and uh, at the Stake Center. And um, one thing that he always talks about, not even, not just when he's on step 12, is, is always about doing 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way down to step 12. And because of that right there, he get, by giving away what you've received, you then start to gain even more and you understand it more. And it wasn't until I, I shared tonight in our meeting, in, your, in the meeting tonight, that uh, it wasn't until I sponsored my first person that allowed me to really understand even more in depth. I thought I already, I thought I already did the steps. I thought I already understood. I had already been sober for a year. But uh, it wasn't until I walked someone through the steps that I, and then, and then again and again, you start to understand even more. You start, like you said, you're identifying while you're helping someone else. You're just sharing what you was already in there and you didn't even know it was there. Yeah, like I said tonight when I was sharing at the end of the meeting, I mean, uh, you know, I, lo I, love, I love quotes, I love acronyms, I love all those things because they're kind of the anchors that help me stay sober and they're, they're, they're my sobriety anchors. And, you know, there's a great quote by C.S. Lewis that says, you know, that you, uh, being humble is not thinking less of yourself, yeah. but it's thinking of yourself less. Love that part. Great quote. Uh, you know? I love it. So, so. I love it. And then one, one thing at... Here's the thing. So then you got this amazing, miraculous story, and there may be people out there that have had uh, incidents that are miraculous as far as finding out that God lives, but you didn't just stop, right? You're here tw you're 28 years later, right? And and once again, you'd already spent, you know, this is, by the way, for those of you listening, we're recording this thing at 9.30 at night <laughs> on a Thursday night, and, and James owns his own company. He works, he works harder than anyone in that company, and... Uh, um, if you don't mind me sharing his age, he's turned seven years old this year. I mean, and oh the guy's God. got full of energy. He's giving away. I love it. I love it because you're full of energy and, you're full of, and excitement. And so when he says he gets to work, he gets to work. And here he is, 28 years later, not hiding that light under a bushel and is, is willing to come here and record it, to talk about it. And uh, this is not the only thing you've done. You've also helped the state legislative here in California. Right, right. right. Help with the opiate epidemic. Yeah, listen, I mean, I, uh, I had a situation, a very tragic situation in my life. Uh, you know, my only son, my only biological son. I have stepsons as well, which I love like my own sons. But my only biological son, unfortunately, succumbed to this disease. He, he, he passed away from a drug overdose. Uh, Seven-year anniversary will be here very shortly on the 4th of February. Um, he was, um, you know, he was addicted to opiates. And, uh, and he unfortunately did opiates and Xanax. And he was with people that were not his friends. Yeah. And uh, they did not take him to a hospital. They dumped him on the side of a road and he died 
on the side of a road uh, on the 4th of February of 2010. Um, and um, yeah, so it's, it's something, and, and I want to reflect on, it, on, on something that happened with me and my son. His name was Joey. And um, I can remember one time, uh, not, maybe six months prior to his passing away, he, he, he really wanted to get sober. He tried his hardest to get sober. His disease was really powerful. And I did everything I could to try to help him. But his disease was powerful. Sometimes, you know, this is a deadly disease we have here, man. This, is, this, is, this, this disease has a primary purpose, and that's to kill you. Okay, and, and a lot of young people, a lot of old people, a lot of in-between people die from this disease. Unfortunately, my son passed away from this disease. And I can still remember driving with him, and we were going through, coming home, and we were at a stop, and he put his arm around me. He says, Dad, he said, you know, and he had like 30 days sobriety then. He said, he said Dad, you know, you know, I don't think I could ever stay sober if anything ever happened to you, if you, if you should die or whatever. I just don't think I could stay sober. And, and, I, and I paused when he said that to me, and it was almost like a premonition, you know, and I just looked at him and I said, you know, Joey, I said, you know, I'm going to tell you something, son. You know, if you died, I would stay sober. So don't make me bury you. And, you know, six months later, you know, he passed away. But... Uh, I, uh, that was also another understanding or revelation that I received that even though that was the most painful, agonizing, disabling experience that you could ever, ever experience, no one should have to go through that. The fact is that my sobriety and finding that book led me to this church, and, and because I'm a member of this church, it was the fullness of the gospel was, was there for me and was able to succor me and provide me the strength and the understanding that I could take that most difficult day ever in my life and turn it into something positive and joyful and and that's what i did that's what we did yeah you're well known not only in the church but in the community here in south orange county in the recovery community that's what i was talking about the legislative and and it was because of that because he got that dirty script right he got it from a doctor right he didn't get it off the street that's important you know to, to, to realize and i know most people who listen is probably know and if you don't know we're in an epidemic here in this country and oh yeah yeah so I want to segue because that you kind of led into it, but you were in the rooms of AA right. prior to ARP. Right. Do you still attend AA meetings? I do, not often because my 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 time's pretty consumed. But 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 every year I never never fails. I go back to my home group where I first got sober back on Newport. Those are always special. That home very nice. Group. So I get my chip. And 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 one of the things that that uh, in episode one we talked about were. What brought me into this is me meeting Jay and asking him a ton of questions about ARP. And I'm like, you go down to San Clemente and there's only one meeting. I'm like, don't you have to go to more than one a week? Like, where's the other meetings at? And Jay's like, I don't know. There isn't any. And I just thought that was crazy. Specifically for ARP. There's AA meetings everywhere. For ARP. But for me, I want to be in the church always. And, And so my question, I guess, is there are some, you know, ARP is pretty new in the church. It's as far as getting publicity. And so it's in some areas, there's not that many meetings. Right. And it should be supplemented probably with AA. 
I mean, I, absolutely. So it's not most you know, definitely. Ju ju don't just go to ARP. No, no. Yeah. There's one a week because and, and, and one a week is not enough no. for many people. No, no, no. First, first, thing, first things first. I mean, what you, you, you need to get to a meeting, and, and and the first thing you need to do is find somebody who can sponsor you. Yeah. I mean, that's paramount. I mean, because you know we're isolators, most of us, and that, right? And that's a cultural that's difference. That you can lean on, call. They're right. going to call you out. They'll make you accountable. Those yeah. are people that showed up to your door. Exactly. Right? And and that's a newer cultural thing in ARP because it's in a lot of the areas there isn't sponsors. Right, right. And you know the manual talks about it all the time, but I think a lot of people read it and like, what is the sponsor thing? I don't get it. And so well, it's not just the someone. I mean, it can be someone like your bishop, it can be a loved one. But if you're a drug or alcoholic or an addict like me, and I'm sure James would agree with this, you need someone who's been an addict and an alcoholic just like you and right. has done the steps to get sober because they're the only ones that are going to know uh, when you're lying to yourself and you're trying to lie to them. Yeah, you're going to identify. It's that, identification. That's right. That's the process. You know, yeah. all of a sudden you're not unique. Uh, Terminally unique, right? right. That's why I stated uh, myself. So if you're looking for a sponsor, ideally, in, the, in a perfect world, you've got in an ARP meeting a member of the church that's gone through the 12 steps and yes. can sponsor you, but having a sponsor is better than no sponsor. Exactly. So even if you go to sponsor from AA, NA, SA, any of the there's other no groups, there's no excuse one. to not get one. We have a lot of people go to our group that have sponsors outside of the church. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's a critical part of recovery. Absolutely. The ARP does not require a member of the church to be your sponsor. No. Yeah. And I think that's totally important that. for people to have, to know and understand. Well, what would you say to some people listening that, and we've had a few people come, uh, you know, they've got many years of sobriety, they got sober, but, you know, they, they joined the church and they left that life behind. Mm -hmm. And no one, you know, no one's going to know that I was an addict and I went through recovery or any, anything. Those are the ones you hear, like Relief Society or Elders Quorum. All of a sudden you hear someone like, oh yeah, I had a past once. But yeah. they don't really ever... It's kind of like a one. Hey, I'm not going to be judgmental. But, but I, mean, I like to challenge those people to get to an ARP meeting because you're needed. Yeah. You're, when you're starting you're, a meeting. When any meeting, your, your, your history, your experience is really needed in ARP meetings. Well, it's really, it's really dependent upon, I mean, if they were raised in the church and, and you know, they had an issue. Uh, you know, for me, you know, I converted late in life. Right? I mean, I was 55 years old when I joined the church. So I was never caught up in the culture of the church, you know what I mean? It wasn't about the culture; it was about the gospel. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was two. That was two. I was two feet in with the. Yeah. I was two feet in with the gospel, right? So it's called conversion, right? And, and you know, but so, but there's a lot of there's a lot of um, anxiety with members and because of the culture. And it's not, we're not immune to it. I met with a bunch of pastors about the same thing. It's it's the same in a lot of churches. Yeah, of course. It's, yes. It's yes. A church culture. Yeah, it's a culture. We're not, yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, and, and, and so, you know, so I understand when where, where people could, you know, say, hey, I was, you know, I got sober uh, on, on on the down low, and I don't want anybody to know about it. You know, what, if they're not doing the steps, if they're not progressing through through a, from a, through a spiritual process, then they're not, you know, they might be, they're not really sober. What they are is they're dry. Yeah. You know, they're they're dry right? drunks or they're dry addicts. You know what I mean? They don't grow. See, the, the whole idea with the steps, the 12 steps, they're scripture. They live, you know, and, 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 and they're divinely inspired. They came from God. This is not man-made. This is from God. It's a spiritual program. It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual disease. Your spirit gets destroyed by your temporal existence. So you got to nurture your spirit. It's an inside-out program. The steps start working with you from the inside-out. 
So you, your spirit starts getting healthy, you know, all of a sudden the rest of you gets healthy, you know, because you're doing the steps and you're, and you're removing all those things, all those triggers that, that, that cause you to, all those fears, all those boogeymen, all those, you know, whatever it is that's creating, the, you know, the reason for you to want to have to use, you know, gets dealt with. Right. Yeah, I, and I think that's uh, my experience of my mission or whatever. People join the church, they sober up, and then they're like, "White not You know, there. That was me. They joined the church. I they, went they don't have the tools to deal with it, and they had that that huge spiritual awakening. They were able to stop whatever addictive behavior they uh, were participating in, and now they're just holding on. Right. And what you're saying, if I re restated, is doing the steps right and working the it's steps, all about the steps. <laughs> will release that from you first and of all you surrender yeah you gotta surrender you gotta humble yourself you gotta get honest and that's the first step it's honesty that's your first step you gotta surrender you know it's interesting when you surrender you become free when you're in your addiction you're a captive it's completely reverse from what we interpret in life because when you surrender in life you know like if you're in a war you surrender you become a prisoner right right here is the complete reverse, you know, so. It's a good metaphor. It's good. We just got a couple more minutes, Jay. Yeah, no, I, I, I think what you were saying was key. I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're new to this church, like I was, I was a convert. I joined at 19 years old, and um, I had a miraculous answer to my prayers and, and like, had a lot of spiritual experience. Jumped, jumped in two feet, like James said. But unfortunately, I didn't know anything about the 12 steps. I didn't know anything about ARP. And I wish that when I joined and got a Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, all that, I had an ARP manual handed to me as well because it wasn't until, if you've been listening to the podcast, two or three years later, actually on my mission, um, serving for the church, I had a surgery, got addicted to painkillers, and that started the next eight years of my my existence to to that disease. And um, But anyway, so don't just, I'm not saying that it's for every, like of course, like you said, you have to self-identify. No one can really tell anyone else who they are and what they are, but if, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're wondering, am I an addict, am I not, am I recreational, or is that in the past, but yet you still have urges, or you're white knuckling, or you're, you know, you can self-identify like me and James and, and many others and, and say, um, you know, I am or I'm not. And if you are, all you have to do is log on to, what is the LDS? ARP.LDS.org. Boom. There you go. Or AA.org or NA.org, and you will find a meeting it's house. It's Addiction Recovery. Dot LDS dot org. They shorten it. ARP dot LDS dot org. Okay. And it yeah. redirects. So, and then, so, number. that's good. So, the point is, is there's no excuse. And if you self-identify and you listen to this podcast or you're at your house or wherever it is, just do exactly what James said. You first get honest, go to a meeting, find a sponsor, start the steps. And and your ARP meeting's next Thursday. There's a meeting tomorrow morning, yeah. AA or NA. 7 o'clock, 6 a.m. I mean, there's, there's a meeting in almost every city, no excuse. every country going on every hour, probably on the hour. And we're now online ones. Yeah, you can no, it's on virtual ones just because of people where they're at. But I appreciate you, James, for coming. Uh, your, your story has saved my life. I mean, I tell you uh, I tell you that all the time. And no, I, that story didn't save your life. You know, that was, that was Every father saved your life. Well, that's right. That's right. But I'm grateful <laughs> that you chose 28 years ago to do what you did. That's what I'm saying is if you think in the minute, you think you're doing it for yourself in the beginning, but then you realize, like you've said over and over again, that it's the 12 step you end up we end up finding who we really are when we're when we're doing that because well listen man I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it with this and and I and this is a great way to to leave this conversation and that is that, that there's no coincidences when you're trying to do the right thing because coincidence is God's way of being anonymous boom 
I love it. Love that. All right, James, thank you so much. Thank Until you, James. next time, Thanks. this is Brad. And this is Jay. I'm an addict. Shelter!